Well, I want to start our time off this morning by asking you a question. And the question is this, what would it take for you to become a servant of your brother? What would have to happen in your life to actually look at your brother and say, for the rest of my days, I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to do what you want. I'll do whatever you ask. No matter what, I am yours to use. Now, if you don't have a brother, think of another close relationship. Maybe you, you have sisters or whoever it may be. What would have to happen in your life for you to make that choice? Under what circumstances would you forget all of your hopes and your dreams and become a spokesman for your brother? I'm asking, under what circumstances would you give up complete control of your life only to hand it over to a younger brother, older brother, sister, close friend? I have four brothers, three older, one younger, a couple of steps, one half. Anyways, it's there. And... Um, you know, when we were all under the direct care of my family, it was great. We, at the same time, we hated each other. We also loved each other. We pulled pranks on one another. We fought together. We argued together. It was a never-ending cycle. And now as we get older, we do it. It's just, you know, it's more civilized. Okay, we still argue. We still fight. It's just a little nicer. But as an adult, I still love all of them. I have worked alongside of them. I've been employees of a company with them. I have actually worked for one of them. I was an employee of my brother. Anybody has done that here, you guys know my pain. Or you know the pain of the brother that I worked for. Either one. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I've received advice from them. I've been challenged and corrected by them. But I would never, I would never give my entire life over to one of my brothers. It just seems weird. I mean, who grows up into a mature adult and says, brother, everything's yours now. What, the, the rest of my days, you can tell me whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Whatever you need from me, I'm going to make it happen. All of my dreams are your dreams now. All of my hopes, they're your hopes. I'm here for you. Whatever you want me to do, I will accomplish it for you. Well, as, as weird or unrealistic as this may sound, there is a character in the Bible who gave his entire life to the service of his brother. His name is James. And James is the author of a letter that we'll be learning from over the next several weeks. So, so let's say James was here this morning, okay? He's dead, long time now. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's say James is here this morning. I think the question we would ask is, James, what happened for you to look at your brother and say, yep, my entire life, all of my hopes, all my dreams are all yours now. In fact, I, James is going to die a, a bloody, gruesome death because of the things that he did for his brother. He gave it all for his brother. He didn't hold any of it back. So if he were here this morning, this morning, we would ask him, hey, James, what happened in your life that caused you to become a servant, a slave for your brother? And if James were here today, this is how I think he'd respond. He would start with, well, that's kind of a long story. You see, Growing up, I didn't really understand my brother. You know, I would get annoyed when he was always right. Um, I could never win an argument. I could never tempt him to steal a camel and go through a joyride. I could never tempt him to disobey our parents and sneak out. I never, ever witnessed this guy do anything wrong. And so guess who was always getting in trouble? Me. But then when my brother was about 30 years of age, something happened. He, be he became a public speaker. And he would travel and he would speak. 
And people would respond to him in these random ways. I mean, he would call people to himself and give these long sermons and people would just fall at his feet. There was this one time he went up on a mountain and he called some men to himself and he said, guys, you're gonna be my disciples. And that was the moment when our entire family thought he was crazy. In fact, we tried to keep him back from doing that. We thought something was wrong. I was told he was performing miracles. I was told he was healing people. I didn't really know what to believe of any of it. But my brother continued on. He healed people. People would celebrate when he'd come around. If, they, if he walked into a town, people were happy that he was there. And I didn't know what to think. I was a skeptic the entire time. It was hard to trust my brother. It was hard to trust that God had given him some sort of miraculous power that he was operating under. I didn't know what to think. Then as time went on, he got arrested. And I actually didn't think he deserved to get arrested because he was doing great things for people. But he got arrested. And I'll admit, I, I thought he was crazy, but I didn't think he deserved to be arrested for it. The authorities, they beat him, they mocked him. He was betrayed by his best friend. And they eventually killed him in the most gruesome way possible. They, they hung him on a cross, which was only set aside for treason and thieves and, and the worst type of offense. It was a hard time for all of us to see our brother hanging on that cross. But this is where my heart and my mind started to change, you see, because the story didn't end there. That wasn't the final chapter of my brother's life. I, I will admit, I worship my brother. I serve my brother. And that's because my brother didn't stay dead. Now, he did die on the cross. We all saw it. We put him in a tomb. I saw it. But then he, one day he wasn't in the tomb. Just a few days later, he was gone. And then I realized everything that I had ever been taught by my parents, everything that I had ever knew about God was actually true. My brother was raised from the dead. And then later on, just to rub it in, right, that he was still the perfect kid, he floated up into heaven to see God. And then he said when he was going up, he said, you know what, you guys all wait here. Because if anybody who lives here on this earth and has faith in me and who I am, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in heaven. So I know I'm going to see my brother again. So yeah, I'm a servant of my brother. I worship my brother. See, James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the half-blood brother of Jesus. His nickname was James the Just. And this is because he was so dedicated to living the life the way Jesus had taught to live life. He was so dedicated to the words of Jesus. His entire life was given over to what Jesus had taught. He spent his entire life teaching people what Jesus had taught. The letter that we're going to be going over the next several weeks to start our summer. I don't care if it's spring. It's summer in my mind. We only get like 42 days of it. So I'm saying it's summer. And the letter that he addressed you know, James, the letter of James in your New Testament towards the right side of your Bible over here is one of the earliest letters written. It was written in the 40s. Yeah, 40s. That with no numbers before it. Not 1640, not 1740, not 1840, just 40. And that was a long time ago. And James wrote the letter of instruction to the first known Christian community sometimes in the 40s. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about and walk through this letter from the blood half-brother of James. And I'm excited because the theme of his letter, what is woven through all the things that he tells us, this is the theme 
Faith works. Faith works. And here is my goal. My goal is to move you to a place where you can live in a more satisfying, a more satisfying relationship with God. And that will result in healthier relationships with people around you. A more satisfying relationship with God and healthier relationships with people around you. James writes this letter full of practical advice. It's going to be very practical. And I think sometimes when we continue to attend church, the next question usually is, what's next? I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know where to go. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, James has got the answers for us because it's very practical of things that we can work within our everyday lives. It's going to be a great time. There was one man who said the letter of James is like a handful of pearls dropped into the ear one after another. The letter is the letter to the earliest Christian church. And it's full of precious bits of truth and things and ways that you can change your relationship with others and ways that you can find a more satisfying relationship with God. And all the while, these, these pearls of truth, there's a theme that works in all of them. And the theme is faith works. Now, here's what I mean about that. Here's what I mean when I say faith works. Faith in the one whom James serves, Jesus, faith in Jesus is a real, tangible, practical way of living. It is a real way of living. And living within this faith absolutely saves you from destroying your own life and the life of those around you. A man once, uh, a man who once lived in a pattern of selfishness and greed, myself, I, I'm evidence that faith in Jesus works. And many of you are here this morning. Do you say, yeah, my, my faith in Jesus works? It, it works because it's real and it's practical, but it also works because it's, there's things that it, it accomplishes. There are works that I do because of my faith. So really, faith works is a twofold kind of thing. It works, it's real, it's available, and the outcome of our faith is works. Here's what I want you to know. When you think about faith, when you think about where your hopes and your dreams are, you know, at one time, James was, was a skeptic of his brother, although he lived with the very son of God. And his mom would have told him, it was crazy. He was conceived through the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. The entire Old Testament points to this guy. James was a skeptic that entire time. There are places in the Bible where the Bible says James's, uh, Jesus' brothers did not believe him. It is well known that James was not an instant believer of his brother Jesus. But his faith was put in Jesus later because of some things that happened. And so here's what I want you to know about faith. Here's, here's another way to think about your faith. Whatever you care about the most has the power to control your life. Whatever you care about the most, you have given it the power to control your life. You're authorizing that. Whatever you invest in the most, care for the most, think about the most, whatever you sacrifice for the most, that thing or that someone has the power to control your life. You're putting your faith into that thing. You're giving all your energy to that thing or someone. You're giving all your hopes and your dreams. They're all resting in that one spot and that one thing. And then you've given that thing the power to control your life. I'm a father of five, so a lot of my stories come from my crazy little sinners that I live with. Now, they're beautiful because they look like their mom. But man, there are some times in, where you realize that if there's ever a, a picture of somebody putting their hopes and dreams in this one thing that doesn't make sense, it's with kids and blankets. You ever notice that? You know, we love grandpas and grandmas until they give them the one blanket that they can never go anywhere without. 
that they have to have by their side at all time. And if you wash it well, don't wash the blanket. That's just going to create a problem. That's just going to, that's going to create a problem. It could be the stinkiest, raunchiest thing in the house. Don't wash that blanket. You see, when kids are young, they, they, they travel with this blanket everywhere. That's their everything. That's their comfort. Now their minds are immature and they don't understand yet. But I think a lot of us are walking around with blankets. Things that we are just hoping that sticks with us. Things that, that if you were to take it away, I am going to go freak mode on you. And so here's a little thing for you to think about. You want to know where your faith is today? You want to know where your hopes and dreams are today? You want to know what you, you're giving your entire life to? It's the thing that you freak out about the most when it's taken away. That's what it is. That's where your faith is at today. It doesn't matter if you're the most influential person or the least influential person. It doesn't matter if you are rich or if you are poor. It doesn't matter where you were born or where you live. Everyone, everywhere puts their faith in something. This is for everybody. Whatever you care about the most has the power to control your life. And because of this, James does what any good leader should do. Because he knows this. He writes a letter and he teaches and he encourages and he demonstrates why his faith in his brother Jesus is better than any faith in anyone or anything else on this world. If you're a skeptic here this morning, maybe you've been around the Jesus circle for a while. Maybe you've uh, uh, walked in and out of this church plenty of times. Maybe you've walked in and out of churches somewhere else plenty of times. And you're right on the edge of skeptic or, I mean, I believe it, on Sundays, I don't believe it on Mondays. Who, who feels me there, right? Right? I believe it when I'm around God's people because it's amazing, but put me out of my own, I don't know what I'm doing. If you're a skeptic here this morning, I want you to see this guy, James, who gives everything he has to his brother. He places his faith in his brother. His faith used to be somewhere else. Now it's in his brother. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the letter of James. It can be found in the right side of your Bible in the New Testament, almost all the way towards the end. You're only going to have a few pages before the end of your Bible. That's where James is going to be found. Okay? If you have a Bible and, and you can't find it on the right side, if you open to the front of your Bible, there's going to be like a concordance. You can find the page number, flip right open to the page number. If you don't have a Bible, you can download the ESV Bible app. That's it, it's the translation we read from. You can download that on your phone. So we usually say, open your Bibles or turn them on to the letter of James. Now, if you're like, I don't have any of that and I don't care, that's fine. The Bible in the sky will help you out. Okay, it's right behind me. You can follow along. So I'm just gonna read James 1.1 because this morning for the rest of my time, we're only gonna focus on one verse. And I know that's freaking some of you out because you're like, wait, how many chapters are there? One verse at a time. I'm gonna take July off because this is gonna be a lot. No, don't do that. Just today, we're only gonna go through the first verse. That's it, okay? Let me read James 1.1. James, that's what he says, this is his introduction. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. You know, introductions, they can tell you a lot about a person. They can tell you a lot about a person. You know, you met someone maybe for the first time and you go, man, I can tell a lot about you just the way you introduce yourself, the way you carry yourself. We all have those stories. Maybe you've met a friend for the first time or a spouse or that special someone and you knew right away. You kind of felt like you've always known them. When I first met my wife, Sherry, who, by the way, I believe tomorrow was our 13th wedding anniversary. Tomorrow? 
Now, that applause is for her and everybody knows it, okay? <laughs> 13 years of marriage. And yes, I remember the very first time that Sherry and I spoke more than two or three words together. I remember that time. And I remember feeling like I had known her for a long time. I remember just clicking with her and being like, man, I, I kind of know who you are. I can see your character and I can see your, uh, your humor. Her introduction was stellar. It was great. It was enough to capture this guy, right? <laughs> but introductions teach you a lot about a person. An introduction that this letter provides gives us all the information we need to know about the man who wrote it. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James proudly labels himself as a servant of God, a servant of God and of Jesus. In a time where family was a source of pride, sort of your, your heritage, where you came from, who you were born to, who your father was, who your family was, in the ancient times, that was a source of pride. Yet James doesn't use his relationship with Jesus as a means to move ahead. He doesn't use his relationship with Jesus to gain certain status within the church. He labels himself a servant, a slave, a doulos, somebody who would, who would commit their life to somebody else for the remainder of their days. Remember the first question, what would have to happen in your life for you to give your entire life over to your brother, your older brother? We all know older brothers are the worst. It's because I'm not an older brother. He labels himself a servant. A servant who is fully devoted to Jesus. He will do anything he asks. He will go anywhere he needs him to go. He waits for his call. All of the hopes that James have, has, all the dreams that he once had, they're all tied up in what Jesus wants and what Jesus needs. Here's what James is saying in this introduction. My life is all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And James is telling us that we become servants to the object of our faith. And so if, if faith is the theme of the book of James, the letter of James, then what James tells us is that I'm going to serve wherever my, wherever my faith is. I'm going to give my life to whatever I've put my faith in. So we can ask the same question again of ourselves. It's a question you should think about throughout this, this message. It's a question you can journal in your free FaithWorks journal as you pick it up and leave. You can think about, what am I serving? Where's my hope? Where's my, where's my faith? What have I given my all to? James is telling us we become servants to our object where our faith is placed. James is placing his faith in Jesus. And so his life will be dedicated to serving Jesus. Where is my faith? Like right now, today, where is your faith? And a way to figure it out again is to say, what really made you mad this morning? <laughs> it's really easy. See, that's why confession and assurance is so good in a church service, because you can be like, yeah, man, I totally blew it. I totally blew it. Remember, I was screaming at everybody in the car, and then we showed up to the parking lot. I was like, hey, happy church, right? <laughs> right? If that's you, right? That's me like 75% of my life, okay? You're welcome here, okay? I can tell you that. This place, everyone's welcome, no one is perfect. So, so where is your faith? So your faith, if that's you, and if you're like me, your faith could be in your time and your patience and what you want and how you feel, totally neglecting everybody around you. Because when they don't do what you want, you get completely annoyed by them and you blow up in anger. Well, where is your faith? You're putting all your faith in yourself. Meaning, life is all about you. Life is all about your needs. Life is all about what you want. Life is all about what drives you. That's all of us. I think that's all of us. 
most of the time. Let's say you have faith. Let's say you have faith and hope that, that there is no reason for this life. Let's go a little deeper now. Let's have some examples of faith. Let's say you're sitting here today and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I got dragged to church. Amen. We're happy that people drag other people to church, okay? We're not ashamed. Let's say you were dragged to church and you're like, honestly, I don't get a lot of this stuff. You guys are singing to a screen. I don't know, I don't know what that's all about. You're praying. God, there is not, there's no reason to this life. Why are you guys here? Let's say your, your hopes and your dreams are wrapped up in living in a way that says there's no reason for me to be here so I can do whatever I want. Then you will live whatever way you want. And although that's a simple statement, I think we all know the danger in living the way we want. Let's say you live in a, in a that, that, that says, I have faith that there is no heaven above and there is no hell below. If that's you here today, then what you are saying is, I am the end all be all. What we see, what we experience only in this life is the only thing that matters. Well, let me tell you, that will lead you down a path of living in a way to, that will destroy your life and those around you. It absolutely will. Even if you don't intend it to, that's what will happen. Let's say you have faith in your ability to achieve and succeed. Let's say everything in this life is about how far you can go, how much you can make, and how people can look at you and say, that's an achiever. Whew, he or she is amazing. Look at that person go. A few things will happen. You will most definitely become a workaholic. That's for sure. The joy in your life will be non-existent. You will experience momentary happiness, but that will fade really fast when the caffeine wears off. When it's gone, you'll feel lonely. You'll feel defeated. And then back to the cycle of achievement again, trying to be successful in front of everybody's eyes. See, this is an example of living by faith that the only thing that matters in this life is achievement and success. Let me explain it this way. If your faith is found in anyone besides the person of Jesus, like we see in James, your life is like a never-ending game of Pac-Man. Y'all know Pac-Man? Your life is going to be like a never-ending game of Pac-Man. Because what's the game of Pac-Man? See, now y'all just perked up. You're like, okay, I'll listen now. It's Pac-Man. That's cool. <laughs> I got your attention now. Okay. If your faith, is your, if your deepest beliefs, if your hopes and your dreams are not in the person of Jesus, your life is like a never-ending game of Pac-Man. Think about his life. Always hungry. Always chomping. Always chomping at those tasty yellow dots on the screen. Never satisfied. Always searching. Chased by ghosts the entire time. You can chase the same thing over and over to the next level and the next level. And when it gets harder, you can keep chasing. And when it gets harder, you can keep chasing. You'll never stop chasing. You'll never be at rest. You'll never have peace on your pillow when you go to bed at night. You'll never lay down and just be like, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to place my faith in you. Thank you for being who you are and being real so I can actually know what is real and know what is true. And I can realize that anything that this life has to offer me is not better than a relationship with you, right? If you want peace on your pillow, I'm telling you, put the Pac-Man aside. Don't live that life. There was a time when James did not place his faith in his brother. And we know this because in other parts of the Bible, it says that 
the brothers of Jesus did not believe him. There's parts in the Bible when he went up on the mountain, he calls 12 men to himself and he says, hey guys, you're gonna be my disciples. You're gonna follow me. I'm gonna teach you. Like you're, you're, you're it, you're the team. His family tried to seize him because they thought he was out of his mind. That's what the Bible says. They're like, okay, you were teaching. Now you're building the cult. You can't do this. There was a time when James did not place his faith in his brother. So what happened? Why the switch? What caused James to have faith in Jesus and then give his entire life over to the person of Jesus? What changes James from a skeptic kid brother to a full-blown church leader and biblical author? What had happened was that his brother Jesus proved that he was God. That's what happened. It was in this moment when Jesus was raised from the dead, when the man who was once dead, whipped, hung on a cross, everybody saw it. When that moment happened, I'm sure there was a lot of sadness in that family. And James might have been like, I mean, we kind of saw that happen. We saw that coming, Jesus. You can't do stuff like this and expect for this not to happen. And three days later, his brother appears to him. And then another spot in the Bible, a guy named Paul says he appeared to James and then to the 12 and then to more people. And James got a firsthand look right in the eyes of his brother, alive. It was in this moment when Jesus showed up in front of his brother, when James said, there is not one thing or not one person that gets my faith. No one gets it but this guy. This is where I'm placing all my hopes. This is where I'm placing all my dreams. This is where I'm giving all my energy to. This is where I find my freedom. This is where I find my peace. This is where I'm gonna find my joy because this guy defeated the scariest thing ever. He defeated death. And we know death comes for all. It's gonna happen. And so he writes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me finish by talking about what matters, okay? We'll start to wind down and talk about what matters. Here's what matters. Your life matters. Above anything else, right now in your world, I just want you to put it all aside. I want, to, I want you to put aside that maybe you left the crock pot open and the food isn't cooking, okay? Or I want you to put aside what's gonna be on your pizza in the next 35 minutes. I want you to put aside that horrible conversation you had this morning that just defeated you. Or what happened this past weekend. Or the pain in your own family or the death of the sickness that comes, or just the hardship of what this life brings. Can, can somebody give me a praise to say, hey, yeah, life is hard. Can I hear something? A couple of nods, that's good. <laughs> but I want you to leave all that aside. And I want you to think about your life right now, sitting in that chair, because that's what matters here today. Your life matters. This person sitting next to you matters. The people who are not here yet, they matter. Your family and friends outside of these walls, they matter. Your life matters. Jesus said this when he was alive on the earth. He's still alive, sorry. While he was walking on the earth, he said this. For this is the will of my father. And this is what God wants. This is what Jesus says. I know what God wants and this is what God wants. I know what the God of all creation wants. I know what the star speaker wants. I know the guy who spoke everything into existence and upholds everything by his hand. That big, powerful, one, true, living God. I know what he wants. That's what he says. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. 
That's what Jesus says. He says, listen, I know the will of God. I know what he most deeply desires. I know what he's after. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, your life matters so much that the God of the universe, the God of the galaxies, sent his only son here to live among us, to suffer like we did, and then to take our place because God cannot associate with sinful people. And if you're sinful, you are welcome here because you are. But you're among other sinners, so we love you. Jesus came to earth for you. He was proven to be God with us. He provides a way of salvation through himself, through our faith that we put in him. That's what he does. Jesus says, if you give me your life, if your deepest hopes and your dreams and all that you care for is found in me, if you give me that, if you trust me with that, I'll save you from all the things that have ever been done to you. I'll save you from everything you've ever done nasty in this life. I will clean you up. I will put you on a course. I will make your life worth it. And then on the last day, I will raise you up out of that ground, right? Isn't that the hope? Isn't that the hope that we all want? That, that we live in a way that says, I hope this life never ends. Isn't that why we chase like Pac-Man? I don't want this life to end. And, and even though sometimes I remember that it is, I'm going to chase whatever I can to get my mind off thinking that this life is going to end. And all of those things leave us empty, continuing to chomp, continuing to eat, continuing to search. And Jesus says, I know what God wants. And that's a bold claim. There was a guy who showed up on the earth and said, hey, everybody, you know the God that we've been talking about? You know the God who's in control of everything? I actually know what he wants. And he says, the will of my father is this, that everyone who looks upon the son, he's talking to himself, everyone who looks at me and believes in me, they will have eternal life. The Bible also says, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift. So here's the other thing. Somebody's like, "Woo! give me some of that faith. I want it. Jesus, right? What's the next question? I don't know what to do. We get this a lot. What do I do next? Like, what do I really have to do? Because you guys kind of seem sort of relaxed. You know what the Bible says? You have your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe in who he is and what he's done. And if your heart of hearts, you believe who Jesus is and what he did, if you believe that God sent him here to save people from their sin and to save them and give them eternal life, if that's your belief in this moment today, the Bible says you are saved. You're saved. So right in the, the verse says, for by grace you have been saved. You know what that means? That means it's a gift, right? Even if it's the gift you kind of don't like at Christmas and you want to return, like you don't have an option. That's the gift. It's free, you didn't earn it. It was given for you. You're not good enough for God to, like, like there's nothing you can do to come before God and said, hey, I'm ready to exchange what I have for your, for your for salvation. Do you think this is proper? Can I bring this to you? This is all the good works I've done over the last five years. I've actually kept a chart. I've logged the miles. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. Listen, I want you to know that the will of God 
is that everyone who would believe on Jesus Christ would have eternal life. And then God provides the way of that all by himself and says, don't do anything. I know you're broken. I know you're hurting. Just come to me. I don't care what you look like, what you smell like. I don't care how you talk. I don't care what has happened in your life. You come to me and I will give you eternal life. That is the Christian message of forgiveness. That is the good news of the Bible. You see, everything that happens in our life happens after that. All the transformation, all the good things we want to do, we just can't seem to get there. You know what I'm talking about? All the good things we hope we want to accomplish and all the moral things we'd like to do and act in a certain way. See, that happens after you meet Jesus. Even at this church, we're not going to require any of that before you meet Jesus. None of that happens before you meet Jesus. Look at everybody in the Bible, and you can read stories in the Bible of weird, wicked, nasty people like you and me meeting Jesus and their entire life has changed. Even his skeptic kid brother. The Bible says all it takes is faith. When you believe in Jesus, that he is the only way of salvation, you will be saved. So that's what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on what matters. I don't want you to leave here yet another Sunday and walk out those doors and consider Jesus and give your entire life over to him. That's what I want for you. And so that's what I want you to consider right now. And as we continue to work through the letter of James, what we're going to learn is that the faith that we place in Jesus has a certain look to it, has a certain feel to it, has a certain joy to it, has a certain happiness that's attached to it. And James has given us some practical way of living once we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're like, man, I've done that. It was a couple of weeks ago, I took communion for the first time. It's been great. I don't think I'm going to hell anymore. I think I'm going to heaven. Amen. We love that, right? That's good news. But I don't know what to do next. Woo, you're in the right spot. Because James is going to help us with that. And there's different ways you can connect with us as a church. There's different ways we can start praying for you. And there's different people in this church you can meet and start building relationships with. Because we love for you to be part of a family where everyone is welcome and no one is perfect. And we, we, we try so hard to, perfectly, you know, to, to imperfectly worship a perfect God. That's who we are. The Bible says all it takes is faith. And I'm calling you today to place your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm calling you today to respond because when the Bible's open and Jesus is preached, it always begs a response. And the response goes one of two ways. You walk out and your life's not affected. Your life's not changed. That's one response. You can say, well, actually, I just didn't do anything. That's a response. Or you can join us. You can join us in communion and walk up here and grab some bread and you can grab the cup. Maybe for the first time today, not because this, these elements save you, because for the first time today, you were able to approach God's table and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. And you were able to say, I believe in that sacrifice. And you're able to say, just like James, I believe that Jesus came back from the dead. And I believe that if I place my faith in him, I can stop living like Pac-Man and I can finally have some peace in my life. That's what I want from you. The person sitting next to you, that's what they want for you as well. As a church, that's what we want for you. And so everybody just bow your heads. Just take a minute now. Let's go to God in prayer. And as everybody's just taking a minute to approach God in prayer, there's, there's a card in front of you on the chair. It's called the what's, what's Next card. And it's a card you can fill out. There's an ink pen there. You can get some simple information so we can follow up with you. We'd love to know if this is your first, second, or third visit. We'd love to know if you're interested in following Jesus and placing your faith in him. We want to know if you're interested in serving so as you approach God, you could take that card out. You could fill it out. You can drop that in the offering as we pass that around later. You can also put that back in the information table as you leave this morning. 
But don't leave here this morning without responding to God's call in your life to place your faith and trust and hope and dreams in who he is and what he has done. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that we can see ourselves in the person like James, who have been skeptics of Jesus, who has witnessed what he's done from afar, but have never taken that personal step towards him. You see, God, we know that James could not live off the faith of his parents or his brothers. He had to make that personal decision for himself. James had to be drawn in by the love of God. And James realized that Jesus is the son of God, that his brother was the one whom God has sent. So as a church, God, we we ask that you would come right now and you would move in the hearts and the minds of people who are not yet your children. And you would move in the hearts and minds of people who, who need a new family, who need a new beginning, who need new life, who need to be cleansed. God, would you call people to yourself right now who, who are ridden with guilt and shame? Because those, those, things, those things are from the former life and in you, we have freedom. We know we're forgiven. Past, present, and future, whatever we have done will be forgiven. So God, would you draw people to yourself right now? And we want to thank you one more time that you made a way for us. That we can gather in your house this morning. We can give all of our praise to you, all of our worship to you. We can be excited and celebrate that you don't make us earn a relationship with you. That you're a good father who gives it all to us through your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.